Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. It is so good to be in God's house this morning. Better is one day here than a thousand elsewhere, true? So good. Tico just about preached my sermon right there and then. But I'm still going to preach what I'm going to preach, all right? You ready for this? Okay. There is a question that mankind has been asking since way back. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Maybe it's this guy. Here's a couple of things that Muhammad Ali said. I'm not the greatest. I'm the double greatest. Here's another one. It's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. Stories told of Muhammad Ali who got on a flight and he got himself settled into his seat. And the flight attendant walked past doing her checks and uh, she asked him to fasten his seatbelt. He looked up at her and he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she just bent down to him and she whispered, Superman don't need no plane. Do up your seatbelt. <laughs> Who's the greatest? What about in the Bible? Let's exclude Jesus. I think we can all determine he is the greatest. But in the Bible, Bible characters. Who are some of the great Bible characters in the Bible? Come on, talk to me. Moses, Moses great leader, fantastic leader. Brought the people out. Joshua. Noah, Noah amazing. Elisha, power, prophetic, excellent. Who else? Who's the greatest? Who's some of the, the high characters in the Bible? Reuben, fair chance. No, just... <laughs> Sorry, someone said something over here. Isaiah. Paul. Oh, where would we be without Paul? Great character. Rahab, Mary. We could go on and on and on. There are some fantastic, great characters in the Bible. But Jesus had something to say on this matter. In Matthew 11, 11, he said this. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Now, I do notice that no one called his name out. You know why? Because he was a weirdo. He dressed weird. He ate weird. His ministry was weird. He was different. He was outside of the box. He was a loner. He lived in the desert. He wore goat's fur clothes, for goodness sake. He just didn't fit the mold. But Jesus says, out of everyone who's ever lived, he's the greatest. Why would Jesus say that? Why would he say that? So we're going to set the scene a little bit. We're going to read from John chapter 3. Verse 22 says this. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. What you've got to understand is that John the Baptist was from Judea. That was his place. That's where he had his ministry. That's where he was baptizing people. Jesus was from Galilee. 
That's where he'd come from. And so Jesus has now come over to John the Baptist territory and started baptizing people, hanging out with people. Verse 23, at this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water there. I've always found it quite handy to have plenty of water when you're baptizing. It's not like you can just like, you know, just roll in the puddle. God bless you. You know? Gotta have water. I love the Bible. So literal. And people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. Verse 25. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everyone's going to him instead of coming to us. Man, this is like conflict. What they're saying is, is that Jesus is stealing all your people, JTB. He's grabbing all your people, and they're coming to, they're coming to, to, to him instead of to you. There's jealousy, there's conflict. Have you ever said or heard this kind of talk? I've heard it around the church. Oh, you know, oh, they're going to that church now instead of here. Oh, they're, they're doing something over there now instead of with me. Oh, they've gone to a different e-group. <gasps> heard it. What you've got to understand about John the Baptist is he was the forerunner to Jesus Christ, and he had three basic jobs to do. The last job was the hardest. Three jobs to do. His first job, clear the path. He had to remove all the obstacles in people's minds about the Messiah. He was just, clear the path. Let's get all that rubbish out of the way. This is the Messiah. He had to point the way. That was his second job. He had to point the way. He had to convince the audience to repent, change and be baptized, just like we do now. Baptized, a way of showing that you're following the Messiah. And then we get to his last job. Now, this was the hardest. We could probably do one and two, but could we do number three? Because number three, his number three job was to get out of the way. Get out of the way. And that's what separates John the Baptist from other people. That's why Jesus said what he said. Because it takes a big person, doesn't it, to step aside and to let someone else step up. Everyone else would have wanted to be part of the way, of what Jesus was doing, but not John the Baptist. Once his job was done, he just went, I'm done. I've done what, what God asked me to do. I'm out. Jesus, all over to you now. And off he went. How hard is that to do for us, man? How hard is it in circumstances to, to, to not just want to edge you just away into that glory circle a little bit, just to get a little bit of, you know, kudos from people? How hard is it to step out and to let someone else take the glory? We deserve just a little bit of glory, don't we? Don't we? Just, just a little bit, a little bit. In the next four verses in John 3, I see, I'm impressed by John the Baptist. I really am. The more I studied him, the more I go, man, weird, but boy, he had it right. I see four get out of the way responses. 
from John the Baptist. We're going to look at them. Verse 27 is the first one. John replied. So this is after this conflict, right? They're all going to Jesus instead of to you. He says this. John replies to them. No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. What John the Baptist is saying is what Jesus is doing is not manipulation. What Jesus is doing is not fake. God is at work there. God is doing his thing just like he is here. My ministry is not to be on top. My ministry is to be second or nowhere if that's what God wants. I have, I'd have no ministry at all if heaven hadn't given it to me in the first place. No place. No place for rivalry. No place. Only support. I loved on Good Friday how all our ex-churches got together at Activate Church and joined together for the first time ever. We need to do more of that. Because you know what? Us all going there and all the other ex-churches going there... They activate people, were so excited. They came up to us, there were 277 people here today. They've never seen their church full like that. What an encouragement for them. Does it always have to be about us? Really? Or could it be that God is working there and he's working here and he's working there and he's working there and he's working there and he's everywhere and it's all good. How do you handle promotion? How do you handle prosperity? How do you handle success? I want to say to you, if you really believe that God is in charge, because that's what John was saying, God is in charge, not us. If you really believe that, when you can say, everything I have is because of you, God. Everything I have. And if I don't have it, that's because of you too. And because I know it's God who's the final authority in my life, then you know you've got this and you are out of the way. You've got out of the way. 15 years ago, I heard a statement that profoundly effect, has affected my life and the way I thought about stuff. It was the story of Corrie Tenboom, the little Dutch woman whose family hid Jews in World War II. And uh, they ended up getting found out and taken off, her whole family taken off to concentration camps. All her family died. She was the only one to survive. And God gave her an incredible ministry around the world for 20 years, like in her 70s and 80s. Can you imagine this little lady going around and preaching the good news of Jesus and forgiveness and all that sort of stuff around the world. She ended up retiring after a while and ended up in a church on the um, west coast of America. And she was talking to the pastor one day. The pastor had preached a sermon about God's sovereignty, about God being in control. And can you imagine preaching with her in the audience? My goodness. And he was talking to her afterwards about this. You know, how did you do that, Corrie? How did you... How did you get through that in your life? And this little Dutch woman said, I've never forgotten these words. She said, Pastor, I've learned to hold everything loosely, just in case the father wants it back again. 
that has changed how I think about everything. Because it's like this. When we hold things loosely in our hands, there's the opportunity for movement. If God wanted this egg, he could come and take this egg. I'm not holding on to it. I'm holding it loosely. But if I start to grasp it, if I start to hold it tightly, if I start to grip it, eventually, without really meaning to, I've got enough strength to do it. <laughs> it breaks, and it just becomes what you held so loosely and was so intact just becomes a mess. And God can't use it. God is in charge, not us. God is in charge, not us. What would it look like for you and me if we started to hold the things in our life a little bit more loosely instead of grasping onto them and squeezing the life out of things? We squeeze the life out of relationships because we hold onto them too tight. We squeeze the life out of our career because we hold onto them too tight. We squeeze the life out of all sorts of things because we hold onto them too tight. Open your hand, hold it loosely. God is in charge, not us. Second, get out of the way reaction that I see from John the Baptist. JTB, I'll just call him now. John, it takes too long to say his name. Um, <coughs> all work. Oh, read, I'll read the verse first. 28. Verse 28. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. Second, so get out of the way reaction. All work is important, but one is the most important. And what I mean by that is John the Baptist doesn't say, I'm not the Messiah, therefore I'm nothing. Okay? He says, I'm not the Messiah, but I still have a job to do. That's the difference. My work is important, but it's not the most important. He knew God had given him a job to do, to be the forerunner, clear the path, point the way, then get out of the way. We have this strange concept that sits around Christianity that if you are humble, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're meant to be humble, that that somehow equals insignificance. But I want to say to you this morning, nowhere in the Bible does it teach that success is to be suspect. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that you are to reject promotion to stay humble. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that there's any virtue in unpopularity. How are we going to win our friends for Jesus if they don't even like us? Here's the difference. Humility says, I'm not the most important, but I'm not insignificant either. Right? Humility does not say, I need first place or I have no place. I saw recently in the uh, Winter Olympic Games, uh, one of the Canadian ice hockey players, they lost the gold medal match to the USA of all people, their arch enemies. And this one uh, ice hockey player, Jocelyn LaRocque was her name, they all lined up, 
they put their silver medals on, the Canadian players, and the moment she had it on, she took it off. And they did their anthems. And I think she admitted later, emotions got the better of her. Very, very competitive. There's a difference between that, isn't there? And I was really interested to hear Joseph Parker's reaction to his loss at the boxing last week. I don't even know who he was fighting because I don't really care about boxing. But, but he fought some dude from the UK and, and at the end of it, he lost. And I heard these words, I can't remember, TV, radio, somewhere. I was beaten by a better boxer. That's humility. That's not. John the Baptist was the most humble man. I'm not the Christ, he says. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah, but I have a job to do. And when my job is done, I'm going to... Okay, we can do that again. And... When my job is done, I'm going to get out of the way. He was so content just to fade into the background, but he didn't minimise his own part in the process. That's true humility. So, God is in charge, not us. All work is important, but one is the most important third get out of the way thing that I see in this from John the Baptist is in verse 29. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. Joy comes from being obedient, not getting the glory. John is using this figurative language that you'll find all throughout the Old Testament of God and his people, the bridegroom and the bride. In the New Testament, Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. I've been to a few weddings um, recently, and um, you might just want to take note, Miriam and Brett, just for your upcoming nuptials. Um, um, you know, when you go to a wedding, there's like the person doing the marrying, and then you'll have the bridegroom and the bride, and there'll be a best man standing out here. Now, when, when like Tico's marrying them, the best man doesn't come and stand in the middle of the bride and bridegroom and go, yeah, good, yeah, she says yes, yep, no, he's, yep. What's the job of the best man? To stand beside, to support, to be joyful that the groom has found his bride. Yeah? Back in, back in John the Baptist's day, they didn't have a best man. It was called the best friend, the friend of the groom. And it was the job of the friend of the groom to send out invites, sort of gender flip now, to um, serve the feast, to liaise between the groom and the public, and to protect and guard the wedding night chamber. So he would have to get that spot ready. Because back in those days, halfway through this, the celebrations, the, the wedding couple would slip away to the chamber and it was his job to stand guard outside the chamber and the bride might go in first. And then a few minutes later, he might hear, Bob, you let me in? Sure, man. Shut the door, lock it, stand guard. That was his job. 
And in the ceremony, it was the other friend that would hand the bride to the groom. And he, the groom would say nothing until the best friend handed her over to him. And I love this because John the Baptist is going, I'm, I'm, I'm like the best friend. I'm like the best friend. I'm so excited because I can hear the bridegroom's voice. He's talking about Jesus, the Messiah. I can hear him. I can see what he's doing. And I'm so excited now to hand it over. I'm so excited about that. I get joy out of that. I don't have to be in the front and in the middle and in the center. I can actually just hand it over and then get out of the way. It's not about me. There's joy in getting out of the way. Turn to your neighbor and say, get out of the way. Get out of the way. Oh, that was a bit vicious down the front there. Sorry. You could say, get out of the way. And I mean that in the best possible way. The fourth thing that I see in these verses is in verse 30. He must become, he must become, Jesus, must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Humility calls attention to Jesus, not to self. Not always the way it is, is it? Ask someone how humble they are, and they'll tell you. Um, I mean, if you're humble, you don't write a book on how humble you are with 12 life-size pictures, you know, the gospel of Kardashian. You know, I I wouldn't even know how to take a selfie. uh, Last year, one of my year eights wanted to take a photo of me for some project she was doing at school. And I said to her, honey, I have never taken a selfie in my life. I wouldn't even know where to start. And her advice was, and you can just take this for free home today, her advice was, Mrs. T, go high. Go high, because you do, you, any double chins, anything just disappears when you go high. So I took, my first, I took my first probably and only ever selfie last year. But you know what? Like, we live in a selfie world. It's all about me. Woo, yeah, look, here I am. This is what I'm doing, all that sort of stuff. There's a poet that I love. She's passed away now. She's a New Zealand poet called Bub Bridger. And... Um, she wrote this poem. She didn't start writing poems until she was like in her 60s, which gives me hope. Um, <clears throat> and I, she's just got such an acerbic sense of humor. I love it. She wrote this. How dare you send me a photograph for Christmas? What pretension on your part to think that I should be satisfied with your paper-colored smile? I fancy Chanel or bright scarlet stationery, something in leather, or the Borodin Quartets, dinner perhaps, with champagne, anything along those lines. I'm not too choosy. But when I want a picture of you, I'll ask you to buy me a camera. How hard is it to not be focused only on ourselves? It's a battle, right? Come on, it can't just be me. It's a battle. The more you try and be less selfish, the more you're actually only just thinking about yourself, which kind of is a vicious circle because you're trying to be not selfish, but to do that, I've got to think about myself, which then makes me more selfish, and how do I get out of this? There is another way to deal with self. F.B. Meyer said this, the only hope, the only hope of a decreasing self 
is an increasing Christ. And that's it. That's it. Um, Don't try to decrease yourself. Increase Christ. Put it all on him. Let him get all the glory. Humility becomes a byproduct of that. I mean, if you dig a hole in the ground and you get yourself sounding and looking and acting real humble, you'll be the proudest one around. Because it's just fake. But if you exalt him and then get out of the way, then you are truly walking in humility. Don't take the glory, give it. Don't take the glory, share it. Don't take the glory, release it. Don't take the glory, refuse it. But don't keep it. Get out of the way and let the glory go where it belongs. What could happen around here if no one gave a rip who got the credit? There are two traps that come when you're tempted to take the glory. I think you'll recognize these two. Both fueled by the dread or the fear of not having. I want to introduce you to envy and jealousy. Okay, give them a round of applause. Amazing. Stay here, stay here, stay here, stay here. That was better than I could have even imagined. Like, seriously. Envy. Give it, give it back, Envy. Come over this side. Away from jealousy. I can do this because he's my son. He's still his talk. Um, envy has empty hands but wants them full. And it whines and it whinges and it moans because it doesn't have what somebody else does. The, the trap in this is that envy thinks that if he or she has what other people have, then they'll have some of that glory and some of that kudos will rub off because I have it. It's actually a lie. Jealousy. Now, this is not jealousy that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm jealous because you're looking at another boy. It's not that kind of jealous, okay? This is the jealousy like a dog guards its bone jealously, okay? This kind of jealous. Jealousy has full hands and never wants them empty. Do you see like how both of them are afraid of empty hands? Jealousy has full hands and never wants them empty and they're angry and they're paranoid because they have to release something that they want to keep. I want to keep the glory. I want it. It's mine. Not giving it to anyone else. Both are traps. Thank you, Jealousy and Envy. You may leave the stage. What I love about John the Baptist is that he did not have an envious or jealous bone in his body. He clutched nothing. He released everything. He did his job. Are you ready? And then he got out of the way. 
I mean, Jesus nailed it, did he not? I tell you the truth, of all who ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Not because he just did his job, but because when the job was done, he got out of the way. So how can we gauge where we're at with this whole get out of the way thing? I'm going to ask you two questions and just a medical warning. They might hurt a little bit. Okay? Question one. We've got a doctor in the house, if anyone does get very hurt by this. When Jesus Christ is in, not questions, they're statements. When Jesus Christ is in first place, that means you're happy in second place. You're happy in second place. Is he in first place? Are you really happy to be in second place? Second statement. When Jesus Christ is in first place, you're willing to surrender any place. I'm going to ask you again, is he in first place? Are you willing to surrender any place if he asks you to? See, Pastor Tico was talking this morning about his vision for this church. And I have a vision for this church where this is a place where we all do our part, but when we see Jesus at work, when we see Him starting to to work in people's lives, we go, all glory to you, Jesus. I'm stepping out of the way because this is your deal. You save people, not me. I'll do my bit, but when I see you start to work, I'm out. And I'll pray from the sidelines. See, our next season, wouldn't it be awesome if our next season was marked by humility, branded on us, part of who we are, seeping out of us. Because this is not my church. This is not Pastor Tico's church. This is not Caleb's church or Penny's church or any other leader or any other person. This is Jesus' church. And if this is Jesus' church, then He's the head and we're the body. We've got to stop jumping up and trying to decapitate Him out of here. He's the head. It's all about Him. We just get the privilege sometimes of doing stuff that helps Him out. Reality is, He can't do what He wants to do on this earth without us. That's the mind-blowing, I don't know, it's another word for mind-blowing, I can't think what it is, but mind-blowing thing. He would choose to use me. He would choose to use you. There's no room in this place for big notice. If you're going to walk around going, well, I'm the, I'm the greatest preacher ever, and you people can all just stand in my wake, or I'm the greatest guitarist, or I'm the greatest kids worker there ever was, or I'm the greatest sound engineer. Listen to me, I will give you my wisdom. Everybody else, stand behind me. There's no room for that kind of big note of nonsense in this place. Seriously. What I want it to be is that when we see other churches doing amazing things and God is moving, we don't go, oh, how come we don't do that? We go, way to go. 
Good for you. Thank you, God. Glory to you. Because you're working all around the place. And you'll work here and you'll work there. You're not limited to equippers. Our job, clear the path, point the way, and then yell it. Get out of the way. Our best days aren't behind us. They're ahead of us. And if we're going to do this, we have got to put pride to death. We've got to put our need to come first and stand in the light of the glory. We've got to put that to death. And how do we do that? John the Baptist had the key. We increase Christ in our lives. We focus on Him, His Word, His ministry, His Spirit. And then we will decrease as it should be. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.